<coughs> so the process of emptying. <coughs> so refer to a field. You're cultivating the empty, empty field. It's, uh, so the field of the eye, the field of the hearing. So with this we notice what, what is there and what isn't there. And you recognize that, just for example, in the chakayatana, the visual field, what we see is form, particular form. But then we add to that, or something adds to that. The pleasant, the unpleasant, the interesting, the memorable, the appalling. Yeah. And that's really what makes up our world, is that you've got to you know, a kind of basic um, quality, hearing, seeing, touching, tasting. And then there's this infusion of interpretations, impressions, feelings, perceptions, reactions, responses. So it becomes very dense. <laughs> and a lot of those, that in- injection, that infusion is, uh, is confused is uh, compulsive, we don't have much say over it, it just starts happening, it floods. You know, you taste something, you're flooded with, you know, disagreeable or agreeable feelings and impulses. So it's this kind of, uh, seems somewhere to be out of control. It makes our lives very full and um, sometimes oversaturated. And it causes a lot of agitation, wrestling with all these uh, interpretations and impressions and being disturbed by them. Of course, the uh, hook is that something that rather likes to be flooded with the pleasant, the agreeable, the wonderful, the tasty, the charming. Yes, you know. But because of that, uh, that habit, then naturally we also get flooded with the distasteful and the separation, the ending of the pleasant and so on. So it's, uh, but then just to notice, you know, there's the scene, and then there's what we add to it, or what gets added to it. There's the taste, what gets added to it. <coughs> Sound, and what gets added to it. Physical touch, and what gets added to it. And we just go back to, you know, let's just further process of emptying you know, for, for that particular process you just go back to the touch, sound, sight you let that efflorescence of perceptions and impressions arise but you don't go into that, you just let that pass and come back to the, the sense base and uh, the Buddha said actually this is the undistorted descent into emptiness, it's just the the sixfold sense base without these infusions of greed, <coughs> fascination, aversion, distaste, delusion, proliferation, confusion, so on. So this is something you know, to cultivate and the in the uh, purity of gathering alms food, that particular sutta, 
the Arahant Sariputta, the Buddha asked him when you went for your arms round, did you, you went through the villages, you know, uh, did anything attract you, anything attract your eye or call to aversion? He said, no, you know, I'm abiding in emptiness. They're just seeing the scene without all that welling up, flooding going on. And he said, uh, and then the Buddha said, your faculties are serene and bright. It doesn't make a person dull or barren, but actually invigorates, clarifies, purifies. Uh, it's for our welfare. The Buddha wouldn't have taught it if it wasn't for our welfare. But something like emptying doesn't sound particularly attractive. You know? So you have to just practice with that. See, you know, the simplicity of of um, that approach and the directness of it, and how much turbulence is dropped when one can cultivate and uh, in that way. Noticing what isn't there. Noticing whether you, you know, and you see see things you like brown or white or red or grey. Brown, white, red and grey have no particular quality of desirability or undesirability. They don't stab your eyes, they don't upset you, they don't demand anything, they're just that. They actually are void of these disturbances in themselves. They don't have them. So in the sense world, there's really no problem. Far from this potential that we have to our, for this uh, unleashing of these uh, fundamental turbulences. So we just go back to the sense world as it is. You notice those sort of hovering of perceptions, invitations to comment, to fascinate, to absorb, to recoil, to tamper with, to fiddle with, to quarrel with, and just, just, you know, seen, seen, touch, taste, you know, that. This is, um, in some ways, very simple and very... um, available and it gives us a lot to work with because you know there is this enormous uh, strong habit which by and large we make use of it's our currency in the desirable um, in all that infusions we make our lives out of really Noticing the absence of things. Noticing in brown or red or green or grey, actually, it doesn't have any desirable, undesirable quality to it. It's just, notice that. Notice that stop, that pause, that open space where normally there would be a whole load of things going on, you know. Notice People are not attractive or unattractive, it's just that. People's bodies are just that. Notice what it's like when it's just that. The, the, the coolness, the 
ease of that, stability of that, the peacefulness of that. Yeah, so there's the, you might say, the practice of directly knowing what is there, holding to that, and then taking in the quality of the, that sense of that which has ceased or passed, that openness, that emptying out. If you're lighter. Now, as far as the sense bases go, you know, the big one, of course, is the mind base. This is where it's huge. It's almost nothing but proliferation. <laughs> you know, it deals with that. It, it's, it's a job, is to interpret, remember, designate, assign, assess, value, judge. Yeah. So it's, it's a huge labyrinth of it. So there are useful um, reference points <clears throat> just to you know, bear, bear in mind like one is the future. There isn't one. Now, you know, now we may think that's a poetic phrase, but really it, the, there's only the present, there's our imagination of the future, and we can very well surmise that this present condition is going to change into something else. That's all true enough. But there isn't that image, that picture of the future. And there is a, there is a strong leaning towards that future with either dread or anxiety. So we've got to try and hold it together against what it might be. Or longing how good it will be, or make, you know, let's try and make it better, you know, whatever. These are very broad generalizations, aren't they? But there isn't one. So what happens when, you know, when we just acknowledge, however reasonable those, those uh, mental activities may be, to worry about the future? Yeah, you can add up the statistics. We're all going to die, you know, and so forth, yeah, uh, and all kinds of things. But just to know whether that's going to happen or not, you know, when it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, we just don't know. And right now we just know that's, that's a, it's not necessarily wrong or inaccurate, but it is not in line with actuality. So right now we just know that is... That is the inferred, the suggested, the presumed. And what does it do? Worry, anxiety, uncertainty, busyness, trying to make sure it's going to be okay. 
anchoring. If I could do that, I'd get that, and that would be the nice bit. Just feel those energies, and how nice it would be just to be able to say, trust. You know? Just right now, for, t- for half an hour, for a moment, you know? a moment of time, just, this is meditation, isn't it? We're just saying, for just this practice, looking at it very much in terms of phenomenal. This particular phenomenon, the future, generates these particular experiences that do not, you know, cause stress and are inferred. And the future is very enticing because it's also in our meditation practice how, you know, it's not necessarily talking about five years' time or something coarse or material, but just that sense of the leaning towards, you know, building something up, increasing something, generating something, making something happen, getting better at it. What that does? Is it possible just to unify the mind in terms of present one breath or even a whole breath but just the very edge of the moment so what's it like when we first of all put aside the more obvious futures next month next week, next year and notice the absence of that kind of like a perception or a sign of space or of coolness or of ceasing. And you go back to that time and time again. Using it to dissolve the worry, the anticipation, the leaning. Just using it to dissolve those. Not to you dismiss conventional reality, but just dissolve these particular energies that are happening in the mind. What's the mind like then? Is it brighter? Can it be steadier? And the past, of course. And the assumed past, the sense of history and person the weight of it the sense of having carried something what's it like to be born again born again Buddhist right now just uh, like you know clean slate welcomed fresh No knowledge. Now, of course, we can all say, yeah, we do have a past, and that's true on certain levels. You know, there is that history thing. And yet now we're just working on how the mind operates. What's it like to just put that aside and say, now there isn't, now there isn't a the past. There's only this. 
You don't have to keep it running. It can look after itself. Future can look after itself. Past, future. And even the sense of... Uh, um, you know, pressure. To, we have to get past something or get somewhere. What's that like when we notice the absence of that? And of course it doesn't stay absent for very long because the mind habit is to keep dripping and draining these particular suffusions, these particular qualities just oozing out of it. So you just keep shearing it off. So you stop, stop, just come back to now. What would it... Mm, what, what is the mind like then? start it does affect our karmic um, inclinations you see normally we're moving cause effect good effect new cause good effect do more of that do less of that you know cause and effect is the thing we're tuning into again that's relevant but cause and effect will never cease Never take you to that emptiness. Take you to brighter spaces, pleasant spaces, bad spaces. Yeah, but it won't take you to that out. Mm-hmm. It's only in the gathering in of enlightenment faculties, factors now, <coughs> mindfulness. Investigation, energy, joyfulness, ease, deep stability, equanimity. Now, this is where it ceases, where it isn't there. When it's not looking for a result, it's equanimous, it's not aimed at a result. It's abiding. So we're, in a way, the dominant supports things that the mind takes as a support, which is upadana, clinging, taking something as a support, leaning on something, Facing on something that we just, do you need to do that? Realize actually, although we've been doing that for a long time, you can come off that for a second, five seconds, something like that. You know, you can lift, it, lift off. What's that like? And then maybe we come back to something we can be supported by that's less turbulent, less fictional, something just like breathing in and breathing out, or kindness. It's simple. May I be well. 
letting all beings be well, gentleness, peacefulness. Taking that as a support is a lot better than taking, you know, whole histories and narratives and stuff as a support. You're simplifying. Because the big, um, the big influences that the Buddha pointed to that we that get generated as a sense of self, I am, and that's bound up with history, isn't it? The feeling of something is holding or containing or carrying the past, and something is going to be there in the future to re- re- results. So if we start to work with past and future, there is some sense of coming out of some of the density of that uh, self-program. And we're looking at things not to have a doctrine of not-self, but just to check out what, what that experience that I'm sure we all have what, what, what is it based upon? What, where is its substance? Hmm? There's a substance based upon stuff that is actually very ephemeral, shifting, changing the past, the memories, the energies, the anticipations, the worries, the joys, stuff that's moving and shifting, changing. Where is it? You know, it's like, like you touch that ground and it dissolves. A lot of the time we don't touch it, so it has a certain sense of, like, fog. You know, it seems to be like a dense wall. And you start to move through it. It's just that. Past, future. Praise, blame. One's own sense of criticism. It's just an energy in the mind, isn't it? Forming up, homing in on particular memories or hopes or judgments and making something out of them. We see how, you know, the process of it is takes a particular feature, particular detail, and then inflates that. Without that inflation proliferation then it doesn't you don't get that same impression of self you get a thought or you get a sensation or you get a memory or you get a desire but when it's held in the field an emptying field a field that is based on this, these practices then the sense of self does not build up. We haven't really got rid of anything or annihilated or denied something. We just stopped creating. We stopped getting involved with a process that always causes um, distress. 
And you start to know these patterns. You know, something touches and you get the whole, you know, feeling of mistrust and how I'm not and defending and proving. Wow, the whole, you know, out of that one particular seed, a field of defense or distrust arises and it starts to infect everything. Mm -hmm. Or you get one particular thing you see you need to do and suddenly the world becomes full of things that need to be done busy things, or that becomes the focus. The field floods. And these uh, retreat situations and monasteries are very good places to, to notice that because they are inclining towards and based on emptiness, on change, people come and go, situations change, based on not accumulating, not building anything particular, not building up anything, not selling anything, not, you know, being wonderful, not advertising ourselves as the great new progressive anything, it's just, here we are. (laughs) You know, it's it's empty of these... um, Signs, you know, that, that everybody else is waving. <laughs> and then you, but then you see your mind can pick something up and make it, suddenly the monastery becomes this, you know. You know we see a building project, one of those things lands and suddenly we're into building projects or into, you know, organic food or into whatever, you know, robes or studies or meditation or, you know, and something, and these are not necessarily bad, they're not bad things, you know, you get pretty pretty good things, I mean, nobody's into racing greyhounds or any, uh, cockfighting, <laughs> they're not necessarily bad, but they do flood so you're getting all kind of psyched up about something that, you know, it's got some good in it. Often it's quite sincere and well-meaning, but the the quality of emptiness has disappeared. That that sense of the the not, the nothing, the ceasing, the stopping, where your mind just goes, oh, nothing. Yeah. And you feel clear, open, bright. The future's not booked. You've got something you've got to do, get done, work, fix, make sure it happens. This is really, you know, a precious opportunity, isn't it, to to have that possibility? You know, it's, it's precious because you know everything else is going the other way, to filling up, guaranteeing, defending. Oh, it's nice to think, you know, and I think, well, perhaps the place will close tomorrow, you know. So I'd be not worth, you know, can't afford it, shut it down. I find that quite an interesting um, thing to, to bring to mind, not because I particularly want to, but just to sort of suddenly see all the, all those 
things in my mind about making sure this happens and planning that and making sure that suddenly I would disappear. <laughs> and, oh, that's great, isn't it? It would be nice if it were going to close it down tomorrow. <laughs> Say, sorry, game over, you know, go and get a job. <laughs> but, uh, of course, that wouldn't, if that did happen, it wouldn't, it wouldn't solve the problem of the mind. You know, the mind would then create another lot of things. So I don't particularly wish that to happen. But just when start, things start to get dense, you realize this could all, I mean, you could fold up. The monastery might last, but you might fold up tomorrow. And then where would all that be? All that stuff. Oh. So it's, you know, re- recollection of death is a good thing. And the emptying of the future. Emptying of the future. The whole heaviness and the selfness in it. Praise, blame. When the mind uh, hits a skillful tone, is able to do something, skillful is a nice flow of that joyful flow when we're in something we can manage and skillful, good, right. You know? And then we're in something we can't, the mind doesn't know how to do, fumbling, confused, not working, not flowing. And then the build up of perceptions around that. But in cultivating a field, you want to see that any anything, any of these praise, blame, good, bad, future, past, anything that takes the center, takes center stage, will flood the field with its quality. And then, you, then the self arises around that. I am great. I am winning. I am miserable. I am this, that, and the other. You know? And then that flooding of the field creates a sense of self. What we notice actually realistically is particular experiences occur land in the field of the mind and then we can easily harvest and feed on those. What is it like when we don't feed on them, the praise or the blame? It's just noticing that, keeping the space Open. And you can almost, why a field is quite a good analogy is because you get the sense of width and breadth and a uniformity to it. So the empty field is like an open space. Something lands in that and it, the field tends to contract and become coloured. So when it does, you notice whatever else, this is not the empty field. This is, and what's it characterised by? What's this, if you had to get it down to one word, what would it be? It would be wanting or not wanting. It would be 
pleasant or unpleasant, it would be perhaps more definable things like um, anticipation or mistrust, kindness or bitterness, jealousy, fear, you know, it's that, okay, then that particular quality, you know, something to work with there. There isn't, so you don't want to let these things color the whole dimension, the whole field of the mind. The Buddha says there never was and never will be someone who is wholly praised or wholly blamed. We're all praised and we're all blamed. Never was and never will be somebody who got it all wrong or all right. Never was and never will be somebody who managed to get everything done. Even the Buddha, many people, he couldn't get his teachings. He just taught those, you know. And then some people picked it up and some didn't. During his lifetime, his, his Sangha was always in disputes and quarrels, so it wasn't like he created, the Buddha was around, everything was really lovey-dovey, and it's great, everything was swinging along, this was the golden age, and uh, no Sangha disputes, it was an age of extreme disputes, you know, violence, in between the monks, monks getting killed, (laughs) this is when the Buddha was around, so... It hasn't got any worse or any better, really. It's about the same. Which I find kind of comforting. It's not like things are getting worse. It's all decline or it's all increase. No, it's about the same because the same human patterns keep occurring. And uh, there's really been no decline, no increase empty of that as the overall yet there are details that are of course miserable and joyful and inspiring and disappointing details that's what details are not uh, so that the you know, practice, we, we're not just spacing out into some oblivious denial, but noticing the detail as detail, and field as field. So, you know, the flooding doesn't occur, the saturation doesn't occur. Then there can be an appropriate response to the detail which is the response is not marked with fear, agitation, misery, complaining, jealousy, opinionatedness. So whether whether you win, lose or draw, the field remains the same. The field remains the same. Innately empty. If it were not innately empty, it wouldn't keep getting filled up with different things. If innately the mind field had a particular quality, 
Hmm? Then it wouldn't be happy or sad, would it? When it's happy, it's happy. When it's sad, it's sad. So the mind is not happy or sad. Otherwise, it wouldn't be able to change from one to the other. We can have a day when it seems like it's really good, or a morning when it's really good. You know, inspired an afternoon, things are really dull or drudgy or difficult, or something comes up. Then suddenly the picture changes. Now, if if the field had a had an essential quality, that essential quality would always be there. The only essential quality that is there is there's a field and it has no quality and it just gets it's like an empty bottle you could have wine vinegar fruit juice urine water but the fact that each one of those comes and goes you know, the field itself the bottle itself is empty even when it's full it's empty It doesn't cling, it doesn't hold anything. It allows. So it doesn't try to hold emptiness as something. Like, don't come in here, nothing's going to happen. It's not defending emptiness. It's just the recognition of that. That's what it always comes back to. You know, when all the the last drama passes, here we are, and the next one begins, you know. So they're just kind of like the sense of you know, how do we know in those floods, that flooding effect, by noticing the detail is a detail, poignant, moving, so yes. And then they mindfulness. So on, equanimity, firmness, stability. So you don't organize the field around any of the particular details. Your field is organized around enlightenment or awakening factors. When I say the field is organized, I mean that, you know, if you drop into a, into a field that's not clear, not, knows, doesn't know what it is, you drop aversion into it, the field becomes flooded with that. It's organized around aversion. You know, so we get something we all feel angry about, you know, wars, violence, so forth. Oh, yeah, terrible, terrible. So it would be organized around that sense, wouldn't it? Or something you felt inspired by, it would be organized around that particular quality. You know, some Arahant or the Buddha or something. And you get, oh, lovely. Yeah. So it's, the field is organized or stimulated around a particular, you know, dominant feature. If the dominant features are just mindfulness, concentration or stability, equanimity, you know, (laughs) know, there's not much there, is there, really, to to, um, get overwhelmed with I've never been overwhelmed by mindfulness yet look forward to the opportunity but it's never happened
been overwhelmed by <laughs> other things, but not by mindfulness or equanimity. Blown away with equanimity never happened. <laughs> so I'll keep working on that principle. See if I can get get out of my head with equanimity. But I've got overwhelmed with with anger and irritation, <laughs> all that. So then you just see what is it that you know supports or brings us back to that that emptiness. So do there's something to do. No, there's nothing to do. And yet there's also a beautiful non-doing, which is the realization, the taking in of all those things that aren't happening, the tumult dying down, the waves of mental energy just cooling out and taking that in. How is that? Abiding in it. <laughs> 